0: Now, last month, um, a 29-year-old woman, uh, Indigit Kawo, I think that's how you say her name, uh, was jailed for eight months uh, in Swansea Crown Court. I went to invest in Swansea, so I was interested to read this uh, story of somebody being jailed in Swansea. Uh, what crime did Indigit commit? Well, she took 100 at around 150 theory and the practical tests for other drivers over a period of two years and she did this for money. I don't know how she put it off I mean 150 just turning up to do someone else's test and she did this for people who had difficulty with English the police were shocked by this crime that somebody could do that and uh, I find it ironic because the driving standards agency out there (laughs) uh, the DVLA are based in Swansea aren't they (laughs) and uh, to do this under their nose is quite ironic The police said driving and theory tests exist to ensure the right people are driving on our roads. And actually, this sort of fraud brings great danger to the general public. Because it was effectively sending people who shouldn't be on the road. And when we think of that story, it reminds us there's something in all of us that hates deception. We don't like it, isn't it? Deception is a corruption of God's creation. God created us to live honestly with one another. And so when we hear such stories, it shocks us, it makes us feel sad. We're worried when we get on the road now. (laughs) Uh, We might bump into one one of the 150 drivers, right? It is sad that people do scams like that. That can even lead to terrible injury and death to other human beings. It's terrible. And yet as I thought about that story, as bad as that driving test deception is, there is something even worse than that. And that is being deceived about the worship of God. Or even deceiving other people about truth that concerns God. We as human beings, cannot, as believers, cannot afford to be deceived about who God is, who Christ is, about eternal life and the truth of the Bible. Spiritual deception doesn't just do damage to us in this world it can send us to spend eternity in hell forever. So this issue of spiritual deception is a very important issue in our lives. Now we are currently going through the letter of the Apostle Paul to new followers of Jesus, uh, living in the ancient city of Colossae. This is nearly 2,000 years ago. Uh, Colossae today is located, uh, it's located in the Lycus Valley, and is in modern-day Turkey. And Paul is writing to these new followers of Christ Uh, Because they are facing a lot of pressure. Paul has never been there, but he's heard about the church from a man called Epaphras. And he has become concerned with the spiritual deception that has been taking place at Colossae. Paul has heard about this. uh, So he's writing really to encourage these Colossians to stay away from all sorts of spiritual deception. To stay away from false teachers, essentially. Now, we don't know a lot about the false teaching that took place at Colossae. But we have a snapshot of this, description of this, in the verses we read this morning, from verse 16 to verse 23. They give us a sense of some of the spiritual deception that were there, that Paul was concerned about, and he wanted to address. I would say there are just essentially three errors that Paul is concerned about. The first error of the false teachers is that they taught that we can be served by keeping the Old Testament laws. They said salvation is not is not is not through Christ alone. It is by trusting in Christ and then keeping the old law in the Old Testament, and that is an error because Christ is sufficient to save us. The Bible says we're not saved, we're not Christians because we do good things. We are Christians because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and when we trust in Jesus and His death on the cross, we become born again. We 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 are converted. We are now true Christians. That's how we accept faith in Christ and Christ alone. And we looked at this era last week in verse 16 to 17, just this era of salvation by works. And Paul addresses that in verse 16 to 17. So we're not going to go over that again. The second era that the false teachers were bringing to Colossae is in front of us here. And we're looking at this this morning. We look at the third era this evening. But the second era of the false teachers is in verse 18 to 19. And these false teachers were deceiving believers by introducing things that were not in the Bible. So if you think the first error was like, keep the law because it's already there, right? This error is about bringing things from outside the Bible and trying to make people to say, you can only go to heaven if you do these things, right? And we, we have a description of those things as Paul warns us against them in verse 18 to 19. Let me just read that for you again. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on aestheticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligament, grows with the growth that is from God. That sounds that complicated, is not it, as we read why What is Paul saying there? Well, what Paul is simply saying is this, and it summarized in your outline at the back there as point number one, because we're only looking at one point. What Paul is really telling the Colossians is that we must guide ourselves From all spiritual deception. That's all. We must guard ourselves from all spiritual deception. Now, I don't know whether you have ever used the app called Next Door. Have you used that? Has anyone used that app before? Uh, It used to be quite famous. Uh, I don't know if I need to double check what's happening with it now. But I I used it a little bit. And the whole point of the app is that it lets you know what's happening in your neighborhood. Uh, It came from the U.S. and... uh, it's been, obviously, here. Uh, uh, so, answer name, next door, right? It's like to know what's happening <laughs> next door. I mean, obviously, you should just go and talk to your neighbors, but uh, uh, we prefer to to, to, midi- to, to to talk with our neighbors through the app. So, so this app has come along. And uh, neighbors, many use this app to sell things, right? Organize community events and so forth. But one of the most important uses is that they use this app to warn people about the latest scams in the area. And when I'm using it, I just wanted to know who's coming, who and uh, to ensure that if somebody turns up on the door, uh, I can keep my door closed. It doesn't warn about the Jehovah's Witnesses, though. But it warns about, (laughs) uh, it warns people, uh, uh, just strange people who come with scams. You know, especially for the elderly, this is a big issue, actually. People turn up on the door, and this app says, you know, keep your door closed uh, uh, and don't let them uh, bother you. We might say, actually, that's what Poi is doing in these verses. Uh, Poi is a bit like the next door app. Is warning the Colossians not to open their spiritual door to every teacher they meet. That's what verse 18 to 19 is getting at. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on aestheticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together with joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. The first thing Paul is doing there is that he's giving us a list of, um, of, of spiritual practices and behaviors of the false teachers. And there are basically five dangerous spiritual practices and behaviors that the false teachers have brought to Colossae. And he's warning these Colossians and us today to watch out for them, to guard ourselves against these practices. The first thing, notice there in verse 18, first of all, the false teachers... Delight in aestheticism. What a strange phrase, isn't it? I should say the word they are insisting, it says there, on aestheticism. The word insisting in the original Greek means delighting. They take delight in. And they take delight in what? Aestheticism. What does aestheticism mean? We don't use it in general speaking. Well, it means self abasement or false humility. Aestheticism sees the human body as an animal that needs to be denied, it needs to be disciplined, and even punished. Aesthetics believe they can transform the mind or free the human spirit by bringing the body under severe control through different kinds of practices. And they normally do this through long periods of fasting, keeping a night vigil, that sort of thing, meditation, sleep deprivation, flagellation, and even self-mutilation. Now, we think about fasting, we were doing that yesterday. But these guys take it to a extreme end. Because they think that in doing these things, they get to have a spiritual revelation from God. And these false teachers have come at Colossae promoting this. They are telling followers of Jesus, it's not good enough for you just to trust in Christ. You need to punish the human body to grow spiritually. Now as I said, the Bible tells us to deny ourselves, isn't it? If anyone will come after me, you must take up the cross and deny him or ourselves, the Lord Jesus said. But the Bible never calls us to seek pain or discomfort in life. It never caused us to treat the human body as an animal. No, the human body is a gift from the Lord. And we are to nourish and care for it. It never says, punish your body to grow your spiritual life. That's not why we fast. We fast to focus our minds and hearts on the Lord, to give ourselves to him. Not because we seek to discipline. Not because we think fasting in and of itself gives us spiritual development. And so as we look at this first era there, we need to recognize that we need to watch out against aestheticism in our life. Because even today, there are many who promote it as a way of growing our spirituality in Christ. When I have nothing to do, sometimes I'll turn on sort of Christian television and somebody will say, oh, you know, I'm about to declare a 180-day fast, that sort of thing. And uh, they'll tell you to go up to a mountain or something to pray. We need to be wary of such Because there are all sorts of people, as I said, who who go on long periods of fasting, why? So that they can have ecstatic experiences through self abasement When you fast for that long, it's not not too long before you lose your mind and uh, you start hallucinating and so forth. So we need to watch out for that. We need to see that these things are not godly. We must fast only to focus on the Lord and we must stay away from this uh, self abasement as a way of having ecstatic experience. And there's also another, way of, another thing we need to be wary of, and I've mentioned it before. There are many professing Christians who follow the way of the world to free the mind from the body uh, through mystical practices. In fact, there's a new old body of Christian literature called the mystics. I don't know if you've ever come across that. Teresa of Avila and such people. Be wary of such teachings. I'm not saying everything the mystics taught was completely wrong, but a lot of the mystics, what they taught was terrible. And we must be Madame Guyon and such writers. We must be wary of such, where they sought to do exactly what Paul is warning against. And of course, in recent years, there's been a huge increase of yoga and other forms of meditation among Christians to do what? To help control the body and beat stress. Again, we must be wary of that. I've warned you about the danger of emptying your mind. And we must not do such things. And if you, have a, if you want to know more about that, I'm happy to sit down with you to talk about it. You see, the problem with these aesthetic practices is that they are satanic Spiritual techniques that promote self-reliance instead of pure and sincere trust in Christ. So that's the first error. Uh, the, the, the first error they had, self-abasement. Secondly, the first teachers of Colosse delighted in the worship of angels. That's what Paul says, insisting on aestheticism and worship of angels. Now, God forbids worship of angels. In fact, God forbids worship of angels. Any created things is a violation of the first two commandments, in fact. Only God should be worshipped. Now, these people were worshipping angels. Now, you may be wondering why would anyone worship angels? Well, I think the simple answer is that these false teachers believed that angelic beings were mediators between God and us. And I think what they are most likely doing is that, it's not that they set up a temple to an angel, I think what they are most likely doing is invoking or summoning angelic beings by name. So they will say, Michael, help us, or Gabriel, help us, that sort of thing. They were summoning these angelic beings for protection. And in fact, they were practicing what we might say today is spirit worship. That's the banner. The spiritual deception here is spiritual spirit worship. And this is actually not different from the worship of saints in the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church invokes the name of dead saints for help. Is that not worshipping spirits? It is. It is. It is also not different from the worship of ancestors. In some cultures, for example, where I come from, In Zambia, the the worship of ancestors is a big thing. You revere them, you give them gifts in villages and so forth. You look to them for help and things. In Asia, it's the same thing. Uh, In many religions, the worship of ancestors is, is a big central plank. This is all forms of spirit worship. You see, it's not as removed from us as we think. And we must realize that any worship of ancestors, any worship of spirits, any worship of invoking angelic powers is an abomination to God. As Christians, we must not practice these things and we must warn people who do it who we know. The third thing that these, the third error these people are practicing, Paul says there, is that this was just like visions. Look at that. Insisting on aestheticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions. What is a vision? Well, a vision is a supernatural revelation. So we've looked at in the Bible the vision of Nahum, the son of Elkosh. We've been doing Bible studies about that. We know about the vision of John, the revelator. The last book of the Bible is full of visions. The Bible is full of examples of people who had visions, Now, Paul is not denying that these false teachers are seeing visions. It's important we read this passage properly. He's not denying they're seeing visions. What Paul is saying here is that these visions these people talk about and they go on about are not from God. That's the error here. And that shouldn't surprise us because it is a skill of Satan that he always produces a counterfeit for everything God does. God gives visions in the Bible, Satan comes along and produces his own visions. And so these false teachers are having what we might say demonically induced visions. And they get these visions from the first two eras. They get these visions from self abasement and from spirit worship. If you like their spiritual life, their sinful life of these four teachers has opened the spiritual portal to the outer demonic world. Now, there are many religions in the world that promise their followers this sort of ecstatic, natural, supernatural experiences filled with visions. There are many religions where visions are present. For example, you don't even have to be in a religion. For example, today, a lot of celebrities pay a lot of money to go to Brazil. Why do they do that? Well, because when you go to Brazil, you meet a shaman, and he lets you take a hallucinogenic drug called Ayasca, right? And I spoke at length with a man who had uh, this experience. Uh, We spoke for seven hours or so, just going through some of his issues in this church, actually. And he explained to me he had gone through these processes and described what sorts of things he saw. And I believe what he saw was authentic, of course. Uh, because he told me that he had never been able to sleep for a long time. He was tormented for years after that. Until he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and, and God served him. And, and since then, he's never seen this vision we experience that he had through Ayaska the point is that many these things are happening they happen the key issue is not whether they actually people see visions the key issue is what is the source of those visions and the key issue at spiritual at Colossae is, is that at Colossae these visions were demonic they were rooted in the demonic and sadly this pursuit of supernatural vision is also within the church today it is the stuff we see on television from self styled prophets and apostles. People who claim to hear from God more than you visit McDonald's. I mean. What are we meant to make of such people with and their supernatural visions? Well, in the Bible, prophets are are people appointed by God to speak for God. Their words are authoritative. We add them to the they are part of the scripture. Because the prophets in the Old Testament got a vision from God for a specific issue that predicted the future or spoke to the people. Today, as Christians, we should be clear, there are no new offices for prophets. There are no prophets at all today. Because Christ has come and sits in the final office of the prophet. Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 2 tells us, doesn't it? Long ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke. God gave visions, if you like, to our fathers by the prophets, right? But in these last days, he has finally spoken. He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom he created the world. Christ is a final prophetic word. He fulfills those three offices as priest, prophet, and king. And that's the end of the discussion, biblically. And so if you see anyone today with the title of a prophet, well, it's a false prophet. They may have visions, and I don't need to get into the business of whether they are real or not, because I know people can have visions. And so if they have visions, we should be clear that those visions are actually very dangerous. They are very satanic. The same goes for these people who repeatedly... Have uh, visions of hell or heaven. You know, you get this all the time. I'm thinking of a man called Rick Joyner. And these many books. It's a large volume called The Final Question. You know, my, my young sister had this book, so I scanned through it and see what was going on there. That's satanic. I'm also thinking of a boy who wrote a blockbuster book called Heaven is for Real. And Christians were very excited about these things. And of course, there was nothing biblical in it. You measure it up against the word of God and you see it's satanic. I'm thinking of a young lady called Sarah Young. I think she's old now and she, she, she's wrote a book called Jesus Calling. And many Christian women started reading this as words from Jesus. And of course, it's all satanic. You measure it up against the word of God and you see there's nothing there that's from Jesus. You know, recently I came across a famous female preacher with lots of followers on the internet. Uh, Who claims to to have gone to heaven and Jesus told her that it was full of candy and joy rides for kids and loads of chocolates and things like that. Loads of followers on YouTube. It's satanic, of course, and it's foolish. And let us not forget, of course, the claims of the gift of knowledge. I'm thinking of the 700 Club and there are many I can see. Where God apparently reveals that someone is wearing a red jumper... Who And as a migraine, right? Except it seems their God has forgotten to tell them the name. Just tell us the name. They can't. What's going on there? It's satanic. It is witchcraft. Uh, It is witchcraft in this specific form of witchcraft called visualization. Conjuring up images. But it is more than that. Because at the root of these ecstatic experiences is a desire for super-spirituality. You see, the problem with people is that they are not satisfied with Jesus, which is Christ. They want something more than Christ. They want visions, revelations, and spiritual power. They want a good experience at church and so many other things. They desire these things to ground their faith in Christ. But the Bible warns us against the idolatry here of the supernatural. And we as Christians must look out for that. It is spiritual deception. Are you satisfied with just Jesus? Pure, simple Jesus. Are you satisfied with the Jesus of the Bible? That's the question you have to ask yourself today. If you're going to keep yourself from spiritual deception, be content in Christ. At the fourth era we see at Colossae, Is there for us, isn't it? And it's, uh, Paul says these false teachers are prideful because of their sinful mind. Look at verse 18. They are puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. The word sensuous mind, the phrase there can be translated as mind of the flesh. Paul is saying these false teachers have an unspiritual mind that produces pride. Many of them are prideful. They have minds that are set on sinful things. They, In short, they love what the world loves. And they tell their followers that if you do this, you can have what the world has. You can have money. You can have prosperity. You can have all of these things. Your marriage will go well and all sorts of things. It takes this form, doesn't it? And, of course, in the church today, we see this in many ways. We see it in the shameless promotion of the charlatans on YouTube and television and so forth. I have in mind here the likes of Kenneth Copeland and Joe Austin and Paula White and T.J. Jacks, Joyce Mayer, many countless African pastors who promote this error of setting their minds on the things of the flesh. Four teachers whose god is their belly, as poor ones, and of course they have amassed large wealth for themselves without shame, and many routinely fall into two things: financial scandals and sexual problems. Name me a forced teacher who hasn't had a problem with sex. Either the marriage falls apart, Benny him. Paula white and such people, they always have a problem with sex. And of course, the government is always after them, investigating and so forth. But the false teachers are not just the television. they are also false teachers who claim to be evangelical, but yet want to champion immorality among the people of God from within. I'm thinking of people like Steve Chalk, for example. Godless and championing immorality, homosexuality to be specific. And, of course, there are many so-called churches today compromising on what the Bible teaches about marriage, sex, sanctity of life. I mean, it's been shocking in the context of Roe v. Wade to see so-called pastors uh, championing the killing of the infants in the womb. And, of course, the issue of justice has become a problem because a lot of people have embraced what is now called work ideology or ideological social justice. And the love for the world, of course, is also evident in our reformed tradition. We are not immune from this. Because as I look around, I see that there are many reformed pastors who exist not to promote Jesus, but to show the world how great they are. Armed with Calvin and all. Many set up ministries with their own brand to promote their egos. I find it shocking that we can have pastors set up ministry with their name. Just shocking. I find it even more shocking that we have pastors who produce Bibles with their name on it. The Word of God from Christ and they have their brand, their own name on it. Puffed up with self-centeredness and pride by their sensuous mind, forces. The pride of the love of the world, of course, is the reason there's now pressure in the Reformed tradition for women to become preachers. Why is this a big issue now? God has spoken. Why are we making it a big issue now? We're making it a big issue because the love of the world, beloved. Many of our ladies are not simply content to fulfill the biblical mandate. They want to go beyond what God has commanded. What a wonderful calling the Lord has given our women. But the love of the world is pushing many to want to become preachers, of course. And it's an abomination to God. And it is the reason we are seeing in the UK biblical teaching on sin being eroded. People are now saying sinful desires are not sin. Only acts of sin is sin. And of course, issues around homosexuality has been justified around that. It's okay to be a gay Christian because, well, as long as you're celibate. No. No. You must repent not only of your act, but of your desires. Because sin is rooted in the desires. And so to say same sex attracted Christian is is an abomination to say that. And I hear this evening in our own association such words being used. We have much repentance to do before God. And of course we've seen the love of the world, isn't it? Through how churches have responded to COVID nineteen. Why is many churches have spoken about authoritarianism and such things? Why did many churches impose mask wearing, violating the consciences of their people who should have won them freely rather than being mandating it? Many churches imposed that. They said if you couldn't wear a mask you couldn't come to church. I want to say that is violating the free conscience of believers. Believers should be free to decide whether to do it or not, and of course we thank God that in this church, all of you, uh, well, masked out, out of love, not under compulsion, except one or two, I know your names, but <laughs> but, but by and large, you you still wore masks out of love, without us having to ask you to do that, as 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 you saw it at the time, and that's how it should be, isn't it? Rather than forcing people to violate their conscience before God. The point I'm making is that many churches are so keen to grow numerically, they would do anything, even if it means disobeying God. They have given in to spiritual deception. And they think they're spiritually minded, but Paul says, in fact, they are not. They are living in sin. And it is this sin that has led them to live lives of pride with their actions. Puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. Error number five, and this is the fifth error. It is this problem Paul says in verse nineteen that these four teachers uh, have no connection with Christ. Look at verse nineteen. Not rolling fast the head from whom the whole body nourishes, need together with its joint and lingerments, grows with the knowledge, with the growth that is from God. In other words, Paul is saying these people are not spiritually alive and connected to Christ. Every Christian is spiritually alive. A Christian is a person who once was dead, but now has received new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is now their living head who nourishes their body, who nourishes them as part of his body. Uh, Just as a human head is responsible, if you like, for food, without our heads we cannot eat, isn't it? Right. In the same way, Christ, our head, is the one who gives us spiritual life and growth is a source of our vitality. And Paul says here in verse 18 to 19 that only those who have true union with Christ can grow with the true growth that comes from God. The false teachers are not alive. They are not connected to Christ. And therefore they only bring death. They do not hold fast to Christ as a head. They are not in a true relationship with Christ. And so any spiritual growth that emerges from their teaching is not not growth at all. It's not biblical growth. Yes, they may have all these supernatural experiences, but they are deceived in thinking these experiences are from God. The experiences are demonic. And all the growth that flows from their teaching, this is why it's a serious issue to read their books. If you read their books, you see them in their messages. What are you getting? You're not getting growth from God. You're getting demonic growth. They are like Frankenstein creating you as a monster. And we can be sure this is true because of what Paul said there, isn't it? Because these people are already puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind. In other words, the, the, the experiences, we know that the experiences are not true because they are underpinned by unholy living. Just look at the way they live, Paul says. They have minds set on worldly things. Now, maybe you're a young person here, or just maybe you're not a believer yet, and you have always been puzzled by this. Why are there so many churches? Why all different names? Why do we have so many different churches? Well, the answer is not all churches are the same. Some churches are all about spiritual deception, and in fact, they are churches in name only. And maybe here you're a follower of Christ and you have an attitude in life, because I've met some Christians who are like this. I just read my Bible and mind my own business, you know, I don't really judge anyone. He met those, of not you? They're like, why do we need to judge anyone? Well, the Bible is saying you are living dangerously. You need to remember that you are vulnerable to spiritual deception. You need to remember that people you love and care about are vulnerable to spiritual deception. The devil is after you and is after them. So this is a big deal. Not all who claim to speak for God, in fact, belong to God. That's what the Bible is saying. These people may claim many things, but it does not mean they belong to God. That's what makes this a big deal. Vance Hafner says the devil is not fighting the church. The devil is in the church. And you need to be careful about that. So what should we do about that? Well, just quickly. What should we do as true followers about this? Well... We should not let them defraud us. That's what basically verse 18 is getting at. Look at this first sentence. Let no one disqualify you. That's the response. There's false teaching. Don't let them disqualify you. What does it mean to disqualify? Well, the original word comes from athletics, where a referee or umpire disqualifies someone fraudulently from getting a prize. Paul is saying to the Colossians, don't let anyone deceive you, defraud you, don't let these false teachers rob you of life with God in Christ. Put, it, put a stop to it. Do not allow it. Don't let it go for too long. This is in your interest. If you are converted, you have the power to stop this. Don't be a lazy or naive Christian who just blows with the latest wind of teaching and practice. Take action now. Reject these false teaching now. Be at war against them. If you allow these false teachings to divert you from Christ... If you give in to these things, you'll find that you are not actually part of the people of Christ. Be warned, says Paul, those who who allow themselves to be deceived may be on the precipice of showing that they themselves are not holding fast to the earth. They themselves have no life with Christ at all. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. We are saved by grace and this is God who keeps us. But we have a responsibility to submit to God and cooperate with His Holy Spirit. And if we are, uh, if we are following these things and we have mindset on everything things, we are not true converts. Right? So we need to guard against these things. We must prove our election and calling by staying faithful to Christ. So how do we do that? Well, five quick things, and I'll and and hand there. five quick things. First of all, make sure you have a true faith in Christ, right? The first line of defense is to ensure you are genuinely born again. It starts there. You must ensure you're a true Christian. What is a true Christian? Well, a true Christian is the person who has heard the good news of Jesus and has responded to that good news by putting their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the death of Christ for their sin. They have asked God to forgive them of their sin based on the work of Christ on the cross. They are trusting only in Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. But listen, as a result of that trust in Christ, they have a new heart that loves Christ, isn't it? They are now a new creation. With, and they have a clear evidence of a changed life. If you are what you've always been, you are not a true Christian. Because for a a person who is a true Christian, Christ has cracked open their spiritual chest. He has removed that dead heart that has been corroded by sin and filth. And he has given them a new heart. And you have not just received a new heart. Christ has plugged you to... Hymns to the Holy Spirit and the Father and and God lives in you and you live in God and, and as a result of that you are now growing, becoming more like Christ as you spend more and more time with Christ. Right? Each day that passes, the goodness of Christ is increasingly replacing your moral filth. Every week, you, the love of Christ is becoming your love. Each month that passes, his desires are becoming your desires. Every year, the life of God is flowing in your heart with increasing intensity through your spiritual veins. Of course, you still sin, and indeed, you become more sensitive to sin. But like John Newton, you can say, isn't it? I am not what I should be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. Can you say that this morning? Do you know something of this spiritual experience? That you are not what you used to be. Because you are trusting only in Jesus. Well, if you can, then praise the Lord. Because you're truly born again. That's the first line of defense. That's important because if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then it teaches you spiritual discernment, isn't it? That's why you need the Holy Spirit to guard against, uh, to help you distinguish truth from error. The second quick thing there is you must repent of not taking false teaching seriously. Uh, you know, in your heart, this is true, right? You know, you know, you don't warn your family and friends about the damage that false teaching is doing to their lives. You know you don't make prayer a priority for them. You know you don't take loving interest in other believers in this church who may be coming under the influence of false teaching in different ways. So acknowledge this before God. Ask God to forgive your sin for overlooking this. Tell God that you see false teachers that they are out to destroy and damn all of us to hell. Literally. And so you must make sure that you repent of, of this issue so that God could help you in this area. The third thing is obvious. Love the word of God and seek to obey it, isn't it? I mean, should we say more about that? Well, true followers of Christ must be like that African village saint, isn't it? Who used to always carry a Bible with our, everywhere in the village. And when one of our neighbors asked her, why do you always carry your Bible? She says there are many books you could read. But the Bible reads me, she said. I carry the Bible because though there are many books I could read, there's only one book which reads me. That woman loved the word of God. She had discovered that the Bible is a living word of God, and she wanted to know his word more. What about you? Are you someone who loves the word of God? Would you say you're growing in loving the word of God and obeying it? (laughs) I mean, let's just start with your Bible reading. Are you growing in reading the Word and listening to it? Or do you just read it once a week and, or in church? When you come to fellowship and hear the Bible preached, are you listening so that you know more about Jesus? Or immediately when we start, you fall asleep? Where do you stand on this thing? When you hear the word of God in the morning, are you saying to yourself, I must hear it again in the evening? Are you that sort of person? Or do you say, Well, I've actually had enough in the morning, I've done my duty for the week? Morning, clocking, evening is for me and my television. Are you that sort? Are you making every effort to arrange your life so that you can come and and study the Bible midweek in the church? Here we are currently doing it on Zoom. We made it so easy for you guys to do it on Zoom, but still it hasn't worked. And uh, we're thinking of bringing it back here because what's the point (laughs) of it being in Zoom if not many of you are bothering? Well, it's good to be in person anyway. We need to obey God in that area whilst making the facility still available for those who want to die. But the point is, do you have love for the world? Ask the Lord to deepen your anger for the world. The fourth thing, quickly, pray continuously for spiritual de- discernment, uh, because detecting the truth from error is spiritual warfare, isn't it? The devil wants to deceive you, so you must be on your knees. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 verse 18 reminds us that prayer saturated with the word of God is the weapon God has given us to fight against the devil. What is the weapon against spiritual discernment? It's word filled prayer. If you are not regularly talking to God, you are laying down the weapon against the devil, the word, and your flesh. You are living dangerously. Prayerlessness, beloved, is not only disobedience against God, it is spiritual suicide. When you're prayerless, you're practicing. Practicing spiritual self-arming. So pray constantly. And finally, I just want to say this. I've spoken for a long time. I was hoping to save my voice. But finally, stay in community with other true followers of Jesus. Paul is clear in this passage that all followers of Jesus are part of the body of Christ. God has not, this is the good news, this is the good news. God has not designed you to guard yourself from spiritual teachers alone. Thank God for that. God has gifted people in the church with spiritual discernment, perhaps more than you, interest in, in seeing some of these errors, people that you can talk honestly with about things you're struggling with. Because fighting against spiritual deception is a, is a church thing. It's not just an individual thing. Paul is writing to them as a group. When he says, let no one disqualify you, he's not saying, Epaphras, on your own. You on your own. No, no. He's expecting them together as a group to stand firm, isn't it? And I've always said that all the, most of the commands in the New Testament they are in the plural. They are always for a group rather than for individuals, most of them. And that's because God doesn't want you to stand outside, vulnerable to the wolves. He says, "Come inside, stay safe with the people of God in the church, because we are stronger." Together, isn't it? I know it's a failed slogan of the, of the, of the Remain campaign, but, but it is true. We are stronger together, aren't we? And so if you are not baptized, get baptized and commit to being part of the local church, right? If you are baptized, become a church member. Yes, your sin at the moment is stopping you from being committed to the local church. That's the only reason. We don't commit to local church because we don't want to be found out about our sin. But I want to encourage you that we're not here to find out about your sin. We're here just to support you and get alongside you. And we're here to help you avoid spiritual deception. And so if if you're not baptized, become a church member. If you're a church member, then become a committed one. Open your life to others. Ask questions. Invite others to ask you questions. Because God protects us from spiritual deception by placing us in the biblical church where we can be held accountable and we can be transparent to other people. As I said, the church is God's gift to you where you can be lovingly corrected and encouraged. We are here to guard each other from spiritual deception. Church membership is not meant to... It's not meant to like a millstone around your neck. It's a gift from the Lord. And I've been a member of churches for a long time, and I can tell you that it's what has kept me on the straight and narrow. May the Lord help each of us to guard guard ourselves and each other from all spiritual deception and for his glory alone.